the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're talking about Revolut's decision to begin offering personal loans to Irish customers, while also deciding against using an e-money license from the central bank, a move that would result in some job losses here. Charlie Taylor and Joe Brennan of the Irish Times join me for that segment in a few moments. Charlie will also feature in the second part of the programme to talk about Wayflyer, the latest in a growing list of Irish tech companies achieving unicorn status. That means it's valued at a billion dollars plus. First to the global fintech Revolut, which has 1.7 million customers in the Irish market. It has now decided to offer personal loans and other services here, while giving up on plans to be regulated out of Dublin, choosing Lithuania instead. Charlie Taylor and Joe Brennan join me for this part of the show, and I began by asking Charlie to explain Revolut's revised plans for the Irish market. This week, we've seen Revolut announce that they are going to be offering more services to customers in Ireland, you know, in terms of particularly at the start of uh, personal loans. You know, this is an interesting move by the company. It comes as we're seeing some banks leaving Ireland, which is KBC and Ulster Bank. And it's, a, you know, it's, it, I suppose it's interesting creep forward by the, the Neo Bank. What's interesting about it is that they did apply for an e-money license from the central bank here, but they've decided not to accept that and go and use their banking license, which is a full banking license that they have from the Bank of Lithuania. Now, it, it is it is a approved by the European Central Bank. So it's safe. Customers are, you know, customers protected with the banking guarantee of up to, I think, 100,000. And so, it's, you know, it, customers won't see any difference, really, in terms of what, what's offered. But I mean, you know, it, what it does give scope to is, it, you know, it's a wider insight into there's, there's some fintechs that have been very annoyed with the central bank. They say it takes too long to approve authorizations to operate in the Irish market. And there's a suggestion going around an open rumor that, you know, part of Revolut kind of decided not to use the e-money license here is a kind of, you know, uh, you know, we don't care about you to the central bank. Joe, on that point, is there some truth to that? I mean, we, we do hear frustrations uh, from various quarters in the financial sector about the length of time uh, it takes to get through a process with the Central Bank of Ireland, whether it's trying to get a license or whether it's trying to get somebody approved as an executive or a director or a chairman or whatever. Um, so is there something to that, that point that's kind of coming from the direction of Revolut that it, it was just taking too long dealing with the Central Bank of Ireland? Yeah, just before I answer that, it's kind of important to clarify that Revolut itself, the central bank was was going towards uh, giving them a, an e-money license. That's a fairly restrictive license in what they can do. It's basically money transfers. It's nothing to do with the types of services that Revolut is looking to to launch using its uh, Lithuanian full banking license, which it received late last year. I mean, having an e-money license doesn't allow you to issue loans or to hold deposits or, or, or engage in any kind of form of provision of credit. But by the same token, we've seen in recent times, just even Revolut itself, it was going down the route of applying for a an investment firm uh, license in Ireland. And it decided late last year, and it had set up the group basically to run this, uh, it's, it's called a MIFID license. It had set up a, a group in Dublin that was going to essentially run a kind of a, or it was planned that it would run a kind of an investment, kind of trading and investment hub out of Dublin and passport across Europe. And late last year, they decided they actually got authorization. They went through a dual process. They got authorization from the Lithuanian authorities and have decided to go down that route. And it is ultimately 
resulted in the the Irish hub being disbanded. Now they say that they said at the time that the ten or so employees or most of the ten or so employees will be absorbed into other activities in the Irish operation. But it's telling in itself in, in terms of how it perceives how difficult it is to get authorization for regulated activities out of Dublin. And it has to kind of, you know, raise questions over, uh, Revolut was talking that after it was to receive an e-money license in Ireland, it was going to go about getting a full banking license. You have to question whether that's going to happen or not. But just looking at the overall sense, if you look at, you know, you can see a number of issues. You see the likes of KBC and Ulster Bank pulling out of, of, of the Irish market. When you talk to banks privately, very few of them will say publicly, if at all. They say that, you know, the central bank is, is very difficult. You know, it's one thing putting capital into Irish regulated uh, institutions. It's another thing trying to get your capital out. And you saw that with Ulster Bank. The level of capital that Irish banks have to hold against loans is much higher in general. But Ulster Bank had double the amount of even that regulatory requirement and was finding it difficult extracting that from, from the Irish market. And by all accounts, when they were you know, ha- trying to have conversations with the central bank about, about trying to extract that, they were finding it quite difficult. And that kind of fed into the reason why they, have decided to, they decided late last year to pull out, or middle of last year to pull out of the Irish market. But you look at you know, the central bank before, during the crisis, it had a kind of a fairly lax approach when it came to regulation and supervision. It had a mandate to not only regulate, but also foster and promote the uh, financial sector in Ireland. And that was done away with, and, and rightly so, by the Central Bank uh, Act reforms uh, post the crisis. And you've seen a regulator that's, you know, essentially chastened by what happened during the financial crisis. And maybe the pendulum has has, has swung the other way. Now, this regulator will say that it operates under European rules, under Irish rules, that it's fairly straightforward, that it's uh, the, the, the process for authorization and regulation. It's all the same rule book, but it's how it's done. And it's the tone on, uh, that's, that's used when, it's, when they're actually going about authorizing and, uh, and regulating. And, and there is a sense among institutions, banks, other firms that are based in Ireland, that they get, you know, short shrift and they don't get the kinds of answers that they may get in other jurisdictions uh, when it comes to trying to expand activities or do uh, innovative things. Is there any noticeable difference for the punter though, Joe, if Revolut is regulated out of Lithuania or out of Dublin, will will Irish punters notice any difference at all? Or is there a danger that there might be light touch regulation out of Lithuania? Well, consumers won't, but, you know, Lithuania operates under the same rule book as the authorities of Ireland. The, 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 the same European legislation applies to Lithuania as it does to Ireland. But there is an element. There's one thing about regulatory arbitrage. There's another thing about supervisory arbitrage. When you have central bankers or regulators, you know, gold plating uh, in terms of their oversight and, and just having that oppressive maybe tone when it comes to regulating entities that they may find it more difficult maybe in Ireland than in other jurisdictions. Charlie, one of the interesting aspects of uh, the announcement from Revolut during the week, I thought, was that they're going to open up a waiting list for people who wish to sign up for personal loans. I don't think I've ever seen that before from a lender. What's all that about? Yeah, 
I, I'm not sure I have at all. I, I, you know, it's hard to know what it's about. My take on it is that I think it's a bit sort of like when a new mobile phone comes out, you know, the new, the latest iPhone comes out and it's like, you know, put in your, you put in your order now, you know, months ahead before it's even available, you know, and it kind of gets a bit of excitement going, makes you feel as though you're part of the chosen few if you're on the list sort of thing. And I, I, I kind of think that's what's going on here. It's a bit of a hype around it of like, oh my God, look, here I am. I'm able to, you know, essentially I'm, I'm joined a list that makes me uh, available you know that makes it possible for me to take out a loan i mean it's not a very exciting list to join in, in fairness did they give any details of what size loan might be available what, what you can uh, take out the loans for or what interest rates might apply no there's there's nothing on that as yet so i mean it's you know i'm assuming you know that they've made their reputation on coming in and offered very good deals in terms of things like currency transfers you would expect that if they're coming into the market here they should be you know offering something better than that's available locally now, I would still say it's quite possible that they will still charge higher than they might do in other markets just because they think the market will accept it. Joe, any view on this, whether they might offer the same rate of interest right across uh, their markets in Europe or whether they're going to differentiate depending on the local market? Obviously, a lot of uh, commentary over the last number of years about how Irish mortgage rates, for example, roughly speaking, are twice um, the EU average? No sense of that at the moment. I suppose these are kind of more personal loans and credit card offerings that they're looking at doing rather than lo- going down the, the, the mortgage route. They have spoken in the past about offering mortgages, but they were saying that they wouldn't like to use their own balance sheet. They'd like to get involved with other other companies and use other companies' balance sheets, other banks' balance sheets to, to provide uh, mortgage-type loans. So no insight yet as, as to what the, the rates will be. We mentioned Ulster Bank and KBC leaving the market. Um, does the future of Irish banking involve a couple of domestic banks, two or three, you know, AIB, Bank of Ireland, Permanent TSB, and then players like uh, Revolut? Is that the future of Irish banking, Joe? And should AIB and Bank of Ireland be worried about Revolut sort of encroaching uh, once again on its turf? Yeah, look, I think the, the banks in general are uh, kind of worried about the fintechs like Revolut. That's why they're trying to set up cinch payments themselves to try and bring in their own kind of immediate kind of payment offering. So they see the loss of, up until now, the, the types of activities, the money transfer activities are kind of the, the, the low margin activities for banks. They, they didn't mind that moving on, but they knew that as customers joined the likes of Revolut, N26 and and other companies like that, that they would lose potential customers to sell other products like mortgages and time. And we're seeing the likes of Revolut now getting, you know, into the space of of credit and and, and God knows, you know, where that goes to from, from, from there on in. But in, certainly in terms of going to your bank and using the one bank for all of the all of your banking services is 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 pretty much dead. I think people shop around way more and you will see cherry picking by uh, companies coming into various parts of the market. It, it's certainly been disenfranchised. Just to add to that as well, I'd say we shouldn't ever rule out the, the tech giants as well. You know, Google, Apple, etc. You know, they have an interest in this space as well. It's quite possibly that they're going to try and do more in the, in the area as well. Yeah, we've, we've been hearing that for a number of years, mind you, and it hasn't happened today, but who knows. Um, Joe, can I ask you about Ulster Bank? Because today we had a, a release stating that an agreement had been reached between the bank and the Financial Services Union for pay increases for staff, including uh, a bump up in uh, salaries for starters at the bank. Now, this might come as a surprise to some people on the basis that Ulster Bank, it's well known that it's uh, exiting the market and they're going to be 
uh, very shortly informing customers that they're going to have to find another home for their current accounts and, and so forth. So um, what's what's behind this? Yeah, it would be surprising to see the, uh, the the starter salary moving up, you know, given that this is a bank that's pulling out over, over the coming years. But, you know, even as it is pulling out, you know, Ulster Bank will still need people to provide certain kind of services, employees for certain services. And, and they're probably finding it more difficult to find certain types of employees uh, when others are moving on. We saw that over the over the space of the first uh, 11 months of last year, Ulster Bank naturally kind of lost about 300 people and um, bringing their employee workforce down to about 2,500 or so. Just people actually just deciding, you know, to exit stage left. So a number of people will be moving also with the loan sales. I think about 280 employees are moving across to uh, AIB with the planned uh, sale of a commercial loan book to there. And about 450 employees uh, will be moving to permanent TSB. And you would have to expect that a number of employees will move with the likely sale of the the, the tracking mortgage book as well. But I mean, Ulster will still, as it is wound, being wound down, will still still need you know employees in certain spaces. Um, and maybe it's just easier. You have the FSU, the Financial Services Union, going through uh, negotiations with all the banks, and certainly the first one that has reached a deal in the current round is with Ulster Bank. Maybe it's easier for Ulster Bank, you know, exiting stage left to actually reach a deal knowing that um, it is not going to be here for for the long haul. Um, They have uh, committed to not uh, engaging in any uh, widespread or group-wide redundancy scheme for the first half of this year at least. Um, And you have to imagine that will be over the next two, three years before they're actually fully uh, out of the Republic. And where are we at with KBC's withdrawal? I know that the FSU has been in negotiations or trying to negotiate with KBC, although it doesn't recognise unions. So they're selling basically their entire performing book to um, to, to, to Bank of Ireland. Um, so the expectation is subject to that being agreed by the competition authorities that would take place towards the back end of the, this year, early next year. Okay. Charlie Taylor and Joe Brennan, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. I'll be back with Charlie Taylor to talk about Ireland's latest tech unicorn, Wayflyer. Back in a few moments. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Earlier this week, the Irish tech company Wayflyer raised $150 million to fund its expansion. That gave it a paper valuation of a billion dollars plus, putting it into an exclusive club of Irish companies that have achieved so-called unicorn status. Charlie Taylor joined me for this part of the show, and I began by asking him to give me a little colour about Wayflyer and what it offers. Wayfire this week became the sixth Irish homegrown uh, tech unicorn, which is a company that's valued at $1 billion or more. Um, They're a company that what they do is they do a thing called revenue-based financing, which is they basically uh, give cash in advance to online businesses to allow them to buy extra stock, that kind of thing, build up in inventory, that sort of thing. But as well as that, they also provide analytics, so they're able to tell you what sort of information is your, you know, that your customers may be interested in, you know, so to help kind of increase sales. So I mean, it's kind of an interesting model. There's a huge amount of interest in them. They're only two and a half years old, and yet they've reached a, a billion, one point six billion dollar valuation in such a short time. 
Yeah, tell us a little bit about the the founders, uh, Charlie, and and where they've come from. And I, I thought it was interesting that on the one hand, they they lend money to e-commerce companies, uh, but on the other hand, they also provide uh, analytics services, marketing analytics. And I'm just wondering whether one follows the other. Is it a case that they go in, they do marketing analytics for a company, and then they say, okay, this company is worth lending to, for example, um, and are there Chinese walls uh, involved in those two activities? Yeah, my understanding is there are Chinese walls, you know, but basically what they're doing is, you know, they they provide the analytics as a sort of add-on service, if you like. I mean, the key thing is they decide, are you, uh, you know, are you selling enough, basically, to, to make you a viable person for them to lend to, you know, so they'll look at your financial performance, but also when they decide to, you know, and these are quick loans that you're, you're meant to pay back in sort of six months mo- maximum, really. And, and the idea is basically that they front you the money quickly, you repay it back, and it comes out of your revenues. So it's not costing you as much as it might do if you went another route to, in terms of financing. And the good thing about it as well, it's quite flexible, because if say if you have a slow mo- month for whatever reason, then you can pay less back that month you know so that's kind of quite an interesting concept and it seems to have have taken off very well now presumably this is unsecured lending so if one of the companies that it lends money to goes up in smoke their money goes up in smoke with it well, that's not clear, actually. At this point, I've been on to Wayfly trying to find out the finer details of what happens. But yes, as you say, they are in unsecured loans. So, I mean, you know, there is a risk attached, as, as I suppose there is in, in every other type of lending as well. But, you know, it, it's unclear quite who it is that the, the, the bad deal lends with, if that makes sense. What are the backgrounds of Aidan Corbett and Jack Pierce, the founders? Yeah, Aidan Corbett, he he previously ran a company called Conjurer, which is still in existence and still doing very well. So he was behind that. And, and basically, uh, Wayflyer kind of grew out of that. And Jack, Jack Pierce, who's the other co-founder, he was also in, in the tech space. He previously worked with um, Liam Casey and his PCH product in uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, right, of course. Um Charlie, we get we all get very excited when we hear about a, a, another unicorn um, being established uh, domestically. This is a, a one billion dollar plus valuation being put on a company, and it it comes on foot of a of a fundraising uh, generally. But it's a paper valuation, isn't it? I mean, do we get too excited about these things? How many of these unicorns actually go on to become really successful companies? Um, any data on how many fail? No, I've been looking. I've been looking for that. You know, I mean, as you say, you know, people get very excited about unicorns being created, but not so much their demise. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, there's, there's probably a PhD to be done in terms of this. You know, I mean, usually it's taken as a sign, really. I suppose that investors, if investors are prepared to put a lot of money into them, that at some point they'll make good. Now, you know, whether they do or not, you know, is another question. I mean, I, I suppose we've seen a lot of companies that do, particularly if they get to such a high valuation of one billion or more, it's pretty much seen as like they are they are on the road to success. Now, of course, the big success story uh, in our terms has been Stripe. And I know, strictly speaking, it's not an Irish company. It was founded out of Silicon Valley, based over there, etc. It's co-headquartered now in Dublin, isn't it? But I mean, the two, the two uh, founders are... Irish guys, we should be proud of them, John and Patrick Collison, and they've been hugely successful. And that company has has taken off, hasn't it, since since it reached its uh, unicorn status not all that long ago. And it's now one of the most valuable private companies in the world. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's only, uh, I think, ByteDance, which is a company behind TikTok and Elon Musk, uh, you know, his company is also, I think SpaceX is the second 
high, mostly uh, highly valued tech company uh, in private hands still. And I think Stripe, they were in second place. I think they're in third place now behind Elon Musk. Um, but, you know, I mean, a 95 billion valuation at the moment, which is just, you know, it's hard to hard to believe that a company could kind of get that valuation. And, you know, I mean, it's an interesting thing because we're seeing suddenly we've seen, an you know, uh, over the last year or so, we've seen a number of tech unicorns coming from Ireland. But at the time when, you know, uh, Stripe were being set up, which was 2010, the thinking very much was like, you had to go to Silicon Valley if you wanted to build a successful company, which is what they did. They went there, they got their money from VCs in, in, in Silicon Valley, and they built the business from there. I mean, I remember interviewing John Collison about two years ago, and he said at that point, it would be a different story now that you could build a successful scaling business from Ireland, but that perhaps you couldn't have done now. And I mean, we're seeing the likes of Let's Get Checked, Flip Dish, you know, Wayflyer is the latest one. There's also Finergo and uh, WorkHuman, Intercom as well, who have all made, who have all kind of reached, you know, that accolade of they are a unit. Yeah, so we've got Intercom, WorkHuman, Finergo, Let's Get Checked, Flip Dish and Wayflyer. They are our homegrown unicorns. Is there a common theme running between them all, Charlie, uh, or is there one reason for all of their success to date? No, I mean, they, they differ quite a lot. I mean, you've got sort of messaging, which is where intercoms involved into, you know, flip dish, which is, you know, restaurant orders, etc. You know, so, that, you know, let's get checked, which is at home testing for COVID and that kind of stuff. So they're, they're quite a broad range of businesses. You know, one interesting thing that maybe links them is that very few of them have, ha- or, if, you know, very few of them have had much in the way of Irish funding. A few have had kind of some early on, but you're seeing companies that have been, you know, generated huge success, but without much backing from the state or from investors here. Yeah. And one of the things that's always said about uh, Ireland is that we we have been hugely successful in terms of technology. We've got a we've managed to attract a lot of the big social media companies here, the Googles, the Facebooks or Metas it's called now, and the Twitters, the LinkedIn's, um even, you know, go back in the day, Dell, uh, Microsoft, Apple, all of those companies have come here, they've invested heavily, they've employed a lot of people, and we have huge skill bases now, but we've never managed to grow one of our own companies into being, you know, a mega business like Stripe, and Stripe um, was founded out of uh, Silicon Valley. Why? Why is that, Charlie? And I just wonder: have we are we turning a bit of a corner now? Could one of these domestic unicorns, or even another company coming coming along, could one of those perhaps turn into a really big global success story? Possibly. I mean, you see in the likes of Finergo, you know, and Mark Murphy, who who leads that and founded. The- business back in the day. I mean, he's made it very clear he wants to build a multinational that's based in Dublin. You know, uh, there's a few people else. Uh, if you look at Strong Roots and Sam Denigan, they they do the sort of fresh frozen food. You know, I mean, they're not sort of a tech unicorn as such, but they're also another company that's, you know, born in Dublin that wants to be a global player. So you are seeing companies beginning to kind of think in that terms of, you know, we don't just want to be big in Ireland or even just big in Europe. We want to be a big global player. And finally, Charlie, does being a unicorn actually cut it anymore? Because um, everybody seems to be talking about decacorns now. It's amazing how we move on. Just a couple of years ago, unicorns, uh, it was it was a real milestone. But now we're talking about decacorns. And we mentioned Stripe earlier, and they're, of course, 
they're nearly worth 100 billion, which is, I don't know what a 100 billion company uh, gets called if it's not a unicorn or a decacorn. Yeah, well, a decacorn, that's 10 billion valuation. And there's there's only, I think at the last count, I saw some stats yesterday that was suggesting there was about 30 odd of those. That compares to anywhere between 700 and 1,000 unicorns. So, you know, unicorns are becoming a bit sort of to a penny. You know, there's still big news in Ireland because we haven't had too many of them. But there may be a point very soon where we stop talking about them kind of like, is it that big a deal that they've raised, you know, you know, that they're that they're now valued at a billion? Possibly, you know, that that will be sooner rather than later. I mean, you know, as we see it as a good sign as being on the road to success. But, you know, there's so much money flowing around in terms of VC funds that are available at the moment that a lot of money is getting thrown at companies. And at some point very soon, you know, a unicorn may, you know, it may not even be worth reporting on. Well, perish the thought. Uh, Charlie Taylor, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Charlie Taylor and Joe Brennan. The show was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.